Our scripture today is from Psalm 46. We'll be using response to. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble in its tumult. God is in the midst of the city, which shall not be moved. God will help it at the dawn of the day. The Lord of hosts is with us. Behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. most likely that y'all are not surprised to know that on long car rides, when I was a child, my parents would sometimes get to the point to where we would play the quiet game. <laughs> now, I, I'm not sure, I mean, on this Sunday as we begin spring break, uh, our family, uh, we did not go to the Caribbean or to the mountains. We did not find our place in a resort during vacations and holidays. We went to visit family. I mean, we, living in Texas, we would drive either to Alabama or to New Jersey. That was our vacation. I used to pray that a family member would move to Orlando so we could go to Disney. And in those days, we often would take the trip in the 1979 Caprice Classic Chevrolet station wagon. This was a feat of metal uh, metal smithing. I grew up in the woodlands, so uh, the car I drove when I was in high school was that station wagon. I, it was great. I mean, I, I think McCullough, or the Woodlands High School has the highest frequency of um, BMWs uh, 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 there, and I loved playing chicken with those beamers with my all-metal uh, 79 
Chevy station wagon. This was the classic Chevy station wagon that had three rows of seats. The third row conveniently faced backwards. And you could roll down the tailgate window and experience all of the carbon monoxide that was coming out of the exhaust. 12, 13, 14 hours. Now, my parents were smart. We didn't drive all the way through the night. Um, we would stop and stay at a hotel, um, but uh, we would only stop um, when it was time to refuel the car, and that thing could carry a whole lot of gas. And so you had to think biologically as well as mechanically when riding with my father. I, you know, being ADD before ADD was cool, um, you know, we didn't have, you know, DVD players or in-car entertainment systems. I mean, you kids these days, my goodness, you're spoiled. We had the license plate game or the quiet game or my favorite, because I was the baby of the family and had an, a sister who was four years older, I would play the I'm not touching you game. Do you, do you remember, you know, little brothers and sisters of the world unite, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. And, uh, you know, back in the Cold War, you remember the DEFCON designations, right? How close we were to uh, thermonuclear uh, meltdown. Well, we had the same kind of idea inside the station wagon when we were driving over multiple states. I, I could tell that uh, the more I did the I'm not touching you, the DEFCON of my parents would be rising to the thermonuclear meltdown. And you always knew that they had pushed the button when they said, that's it. We're playing the quiet game. Now, I am not one who, have you noticed I'm an extrovert? I don't know. Um, I don't sit quiet long. I mean, in fact, in the early service, I conveniently found myself outside in the narthex during the four minutes of silence. I'm not really sure what I'm gonna do next week when there's seven minutes of silence. For those that don't know, the quiet game is that game that you play by being quiet and the first one to make a noise loses. I did not have a good record when it came to the quiet game. It would be easy to assume that this whole series of worship experiences has been around this idea of playing the quiet game with God, similar to chicken, sitting still and quiet, forcing God's hand so that God has to talk first. But see, that's not the purpose. The purpose isn't some sort of manipulation of God by silence. But rather, if there are two roads of discipleship, a road of action and a road of contemplation, we have focused during this Lent on the idea of contemplation. What if all things uh, happen in God's time? What if it does not depend upon us to save the world? What if? It is not our responsibility to fix all the wrongs of the world, but yet to sit still and to wait upon the Lord. Now, if you're looking for a biblical thing, right? I mean, you want to be, you know, very biblical. Um, I, I get a kick in election season. Everybody uh, tries to grab the holy spot by being the most biblical and faithful. 
Uh, always be careful of two Corinthians. Um, but uh, so if you're looking for that, that biblical place, then you might find it in the idea of contemplation and Sabbath. When we look at Sabbath, uh, it begins first, second uh, chapter of Genesis, where God creates. God creates, and it's good. And God creates, and it's good. And there are days that go by, and each day has its work. And God says, it's good. And when it's all done, God rests. And it was very good interesting that we find ourselves in a society that is so geared up for production, so geared up for results and for outcomes and outputs. But this road of contemplation is less about performing for God and more about listening and waiting and resting. When we look at our scripture passage, uh, remember that the book of Psalms is the hymn book, the song book, the prayer book of the tribe of Israel. And so uh, though it's nice to pull Psalm 46.10 out of the whole song of Psalms and say, ah, this Psalm is about be still and know that God is God. But would you take one stanza out of amazing grace? And just say, hey, this is all it's about. When we've been there 10,000 years, it kind of takes away the punch of the whole purpose of amazing grace. So when we look at the whole psalm, Psalm 46, we find it begins in a very sovereign kingship kind of way. God is in charge of all. Then we look at verse 2 and 3, on to 4, 5, and 6, we find that even if the earth should change, and I know the only constant in the world is change, but this isn't just kind of subtle change, but rather it is if the mountains in the heart of the sea were to explode, if the earth should melt, if the uh, very ground that we are on should change. You get the impression that the writer of this psalm is pulling together all of those amazing acts of nature. Uh, a 10.0 on the Richter scale earthquake, a class five hurricane coming onto the shore, the largest volcano you could imagine exploding, and a tsunami for icing on the cake. That even if the earth should change, God is still God, and God is still sovereign. God is still king, that as the nations go to battle, as the world totters, God speaks, and all is at peace. One of the roles for a king was to provide a place of peace for subjects, often behind the walls of a fortress. You should remember that the beginning of Psalm 46, the, uh, our God is a, uh, a refuge. This was the passage that Lisa Michelle talked about in her children's moment. Luther translated that, a mighty fortress is our God. That when we think of uh, God as king of all creation, God creates a place of peace, a place for us to be. And I believe that peace is the place of the Sabbath, 
a place where we can stop, a place where we can rest, a place where we can be recreated. We look particularly at 4610. We all know it. We've put it on the screens. We've talked about it often throughout Lent. Be still and know that I am God. It'd be easy for you to interpret that as be still must mean I should become meditative and uh, quiet. But really, when we look at the Hebrew that's behind be still, we get a word that is commanding. It actually um, it reads more like stop and know that I am God. Stop, almost like kids playing red light, green light. God says, red light, and know that I am God. When we think about the work of the Sabbath, it's almost humorous to talk about Sabbath as work. Isn't that the time that we're supposed to be resting, preacher? What we find is when we rest, we walk away from the desperate drive to be successful, to be consumed by our responsibilities, and we sit and depend upon God to take care of the work. I, I want to challenge you. What, what season in your life uh, is a time of rest? It could be weekly, it could be daily, it could be monthly, but is there a place, maybe from sundown to sundown, where nothing has to be produced, where all you have to be is present to God? Dorothy C. Bass talks about the Sabbath in this way. Sabbath keeping is not about taking a day off or avoiding work, but about being recalled to our knowledge of and gratitude for God's activity in creating the world. That in giving thanks for God's activity, those who are captive are set free and the powers of death are overcome. You might ask the question, uh, preacher, uh, which captives do we set free? I wonder if in practicing the Sabbath, of being called to rest, that the captives that get set free are our own selves, freed from the project plan, freed from the production goal, freed from the terror of having to make every minute monetized with value. God is king, king of all, King of creation, the psalmist says that um, not only do everyone on the earth praise the Lord, but in the earth, God is praised. Paul talks about uh, in the New Testament that the whole creation yearns for the salvation and coming of the Lord. Have we stopped long enough to experience that yearning for that which only God can bring. Last summer, I spent six Saturdays in a row in a mindfulness class. Now, for those of you who know me, that's hilarious. A mindfulness class is about learning how to be present in the moment, how to not be distracted, um, how to uh, be um, 
uh, in the presence of God. It was taught by a therapist. It was a three-hour class. We'd arrive at noon on Saturday and be done by three on Saturday. There was an hour of lecture, and then there was an hour of practice, which means um, essentially laying on a mat in a very uh, cool, uh, dark uh, room with soft music on. Um, And then you spend an hour processing the practice. So I'm not really sure what the practice was after the first two Saturdays because I sensed that I might have been snoring during the practice. I didn't bring it up during the processing time. I thought that would be awkward. So after the third um, hour-long nap at a large hourly rate, I decided that in the processing time I'd ask, so what happens if you fall asleep in the midst of mindfulness? Now, I got to say, I, I pride myself on making sure that the sanctuary is well lit, that the uh, speakers work really loud, um, that um, it's not too warm and not too cold, uh, and that the pews aren't too comfortable. Because when in a dark, cool, uh, quiet place with a comfy seat, I usually fall asleep. And so I asked the teacher, what happens if someone <laughs> were to fall asleep? The teacher said, well, Peter, I've assumed that the last three weeks when you've fallen asleep, (laughs) that you found yourself so present to yourself and to God that you were mindful enough to fall asleep in the arms of God. Friends, is there a place where you can be so still that you don't have to perform for God You don't have to do the right thing or believe the right way or do the right action, but you can just be present. Maybe in such a safe sanctuary experience that you fall asleep in the arms of God. My guess is that our culture yearns for rest, but we can't figure how to monetize it. And so we get distracted and keep on working, thinking that at some point we'll work hard enough and long enough that we'll get God's acceptance, only to find out that the gospel reminds us that God has loved us far longer than we've known about God. Maybe, friends, it's time to find a place of silence, a place of rest, so that we might fall asleep in the arms of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.